tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Rick Descharmes. There is no doubt that two key words come to mind when describing Rick, passion and vision. Rick moved from a passionate local animal welfare volunteer to a leading national no-kill advocate and visionary is a story that is both compelling and inspiring. It was his passion born from his days as a child, bringing stray pets home from the streets of Waterloo, Iowa with his mother that launched his lifelong commitment to animal welfare. It was when his mother told him that some of those animals would not make it out of the shelter alive that perhaps the earliest vision for his work to make this a no-kill nation was first evident. While employed in the heavy equipment industry, Rick fused his passion and his professional skills as he became an active volunteer in the animal welfare category. Bringing his business experience to the movement, he came to understand that an effective spay-neuter program was a vital first step, and he became a member of the Mayor's Task Force for Animal Control in Jacksonville and the driving force behind the city's eventual drive to become a no-kill community. His passion and vision came together when he founded First Coast no More Homeless Pets in 2002, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to ending the killing of dogs and cats in Duval County and beyond. Rick grew the organization into a national thought leader in the no-kill movement. A key partner for local shelters across two states, 10,000 square miles service area, and become a life-saving part of the First Coast community as the area has achieved no-kill status with local partners in the core three-county metro area. In 2013, while at First Coast No More Homeless Pets, Rick was one of three founders of the Target Zero Institute, a program that has helped dozens of communities along with their evolution to higher live release rates. When Rick left First Coast No More Homeless Pets in July 2019, it was a 10 plus million dollar a year organization with 165 paid team members, including 20 plus veterinarians operating two large safety net hospitals with a combined 20,000 square feet of hospital space. First Coast No More Homeless Pets also operates other life-saving programs, including a regional pet food bank, shelter, neuter, return programs, and mega adoption events. Rick has now founded RLD Consulting LLC to help organizations anywhere that are working to save more dogs and cats. He specializes in access to veterinary care, spay-neuter clinics, nonprofit startups, along with other topics of importance to animal welfare nonprofit organizations. This group is also willing to work with for-profit hospitals providing low-cost services. He has expertise in feasibility studies, strategic plans, implementation, and sustainability. Rick, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much, Stacy. I always enjoy talking with you. Yeah, it's great. It's been a while, and I'm so glad we're going to have a chance to catch up and hear more about the new things that you are working on these days. But first and foremost, you know, for folks that haven't heard your previous podcast, which folks can go in to communitycatspodcast.com, go into the search bar and just put Rick or Ducharme in the search bar and his past podcast will come up. You, you know, accurately defined here in your bio about, you know, your childhood being around animals and you developed a passion for it, but you also had an interest in business. So it seemed like you first entered the business world 
and you didn't take sort of that normal route, which is a lot of people say, oh, I loved animals as a child. I always wanted to be a veterinarian, but then I got into sheltering, but you went into business. So how did that happen? Well, I guess, you know, that probably came about because when I started to look into veterinary school and and becoming a veterinarian, I realized that it took a lot more than just uh, learning how to diagnose tummy aches in dogs and cats. And um, you had to do a lot of studying and veterinary school was very expensive even back then. And it just wasn't in the cards for our family to send me to uh, eight years of college. So I ended up going to a two-year business college and took some business courses and sales and marketing and management and um, and went that way. And uh, it worked out pretty well for me and did well for, for years and really set up a good foundation, I think, for starting a nonprofit and growing it because I had a good grasp of the business end of the, of the world rather than just uh, the emotional part about wanting to help dogs and cats. So, you know, I've talked to several people on the podcast about going from a for-profit space or from the from that corporate world into the nonprofit space. Would you call that transition a smooth transition for you or are the two beings very different from one another? Well, they are very different from one another and especially because I was in the heavy equipment world before. Um, so it definitely was a big change, you know, a lot of differences there, but it's really... I think the important thing, though, is that every everything we do is about relationships and how we interact with the people around us. And um, and I think that the you know the sales and marketing part of my previous life is what really set me up for success in in the animal welfare world as well. So I think you know the analytical part, being able to look at uh, statistics and numbers and make rational decisions based on you know, on real facts and figures rather than emotions uh, really helped me a lot in the nonprofit world. So you've achieved uh, tremendous success with regards to providing significant spay-neuter services in your past work in Florida. Is that still the bedrock for success in, in handling overpopulation as well as quality of life for our animals in the community? Is, is that really the high volume, high quality spay neuter clinic? Is that still our first go-to program? Well, in order to reach a, you know, a high life release rate in any community, it takes a wide variety of services, not just spay and neuter, but I believe, like you said, that spay and neuter really is the bedrock of those services. And that's really the foundation. And if you have a good foundation of available and targeted spay and neuter services in a community, then you can build upon that and add the other programs that help to impact um, euthanasia and shelters. But spay and neuter will definitely help to bring down the numbers of pets entering the shelter to start with, so that overall the community has fewer pets to deal with and fewer pets that need to be rehomed. And then there can be, you know, you know, there'd be the other programs like the shelter neuter return programs and mega adoption events and and so on that really do have a continue to have an impact on shelter euthanasias. But getting the overall number of pets entering shelters down, I think our best tool in our in our toolbox is targeted spay and neuter programs. A lot has changed in animal welfare over the last year or so since we've been, you know, hit with COVID. 
in your consultancy, you know, what are the sort of trends that you have seen happening over the last year? Well, certainly, you know, just like with the United Spay Alliance conference this year and the other conferences, you know, we're all doing a lot more Zoom meetings and having to figure out how to do things without a lot of interaction with people, whether that's donors and, you know, in the, um, in the fundraising part end of the business or adopters or people wanting to relinquish their pets. You know, we've, we've had to figure out how to handle those with minimal contact with people, which can be a challenge, but I think it's also, um, it's also brought about a lot of different opportunities for the nonprofit animal welfare world as well. And certainly, you know, virtual classes uh, to help people keep pets in homes and, a lot of that type of stuff, but we're doing a lot of curbside business now in shelters, you know, where people come to adopt and they maybe have to look online for their pet and the, uh, and the team brings out pets for, you know, to introduce to people curbside or, you know, stuff like that. So we've had to make a lot of adjustments in the animal welfare world, but some of those are probably going to stick even after we get back to normal after COVID. So. It's interesting to see how innovative the animal welfare world has been over the past year to really keep things rolling. One of the biggest concerns that has come out of it, and I I believe it was a pre-existing condition that just got inflamed basically by COVID, is a sense that there's a shortage of veterinarians as well as technicians across the field. Are, Are you seeing that with the clients that you're working with? Oh, absolutely. One of the things I stay busiest with is clients needing help recruiting veterinarians for their, uh, for their clinics, for their shelters, for their spay and neuter operations. Definitely, that's, that's something that we're going to continue to experience for the foreseeable future. I think that, uh, you know, there, there's, there's not really an end in sight to that problem. In fact, I, I can only envision it becoming more and more difficult to hire veterinarians as, you know, as more older veterinarians retire, and there's more and more opportunities for the veterinarians graduating from college with the uh, explosion of veterinary clinics and the, and the way that corporate veterinary chains have grown so dramatically and will continue to grow. I think we're just going to continue to see a worsening of that challenge. And it's something we're all just going to have to get really good at is recruiting veterinarians. In fact, you know, I'm working with four different shelters or clinics right now, nonprofits that um, I'm helping to recruit veterinarians with. And that's pretty much a steady, a steady number for me. It's just, you know, it, it takes a lot more work to hire veterinarians than it did just five years ago. Are there things that we can do? I'm just trying to think of some of the tasks that veterinarians are required to do, but may not necessarily be the best use of their time. Are there, are there things that we can try and advocate for, you know, that maybe a certified veterinary technician could do? I mean, one of the things is looking at a veterinarian, how they use their time and ensuring that they're using their time as a veterinarian should use their time and and not other things that someone else could do. Um, Are those some of the things that you look at also? Absolutely. There's lots of ways that we can um, extend the, uh, you know, the reach of the veterinarians that we do have and certainly using certified veterinary technicians or even just experienced technicians to do a lot of the work that, you know, used to be a veterinarian would do and make sure that we're using those veterinarians 
just to do the things that we really need veterinarians to do as far as the medical end of things. And then also we're looking at using apps and, um, you know, the, the health apps for pets that are available now. And I think one of the things that we can certainly do is advocate for the state associations and the state veterinary boards to allow more and more use of apps and more um, establishing that client veterinary relationship, patient uh, vet relationship, so that they can actually do things like prescribe and, and see clients um, through an app rather than having you know to make people come to the veterinary clinic. I think that helps the patients, but it also allows the veterinarians to see a lot more clients in an hour. And there's a lot of things that the veterinarian doesn't have to do a hands-on exam for to reach a conclusion and set up a treatment plan. And then, you know, as far as retaining veterinarians, I think that's one of the things that we really have to look at in the nonprofit world is, is to help make sure that we're doing proper things to retain the veterinarians that we do have working in the nonprofit world, making sure just like with all of our team members that they have a good work-life balance and we're not overworking them and, you know, and thinking that they can work 12 hours a day every day and um, making sure that the veterinarians are a real partner in the management of the organization if they want that responsibility and, you know, taking their viewpoints into consideration when making those important decisions for our organizations. So I think there's a lot of things that we can do to, you know, to continue to um, increase the number of veterinarians entering the nonprofit world, but, but then also to retain the veterinarians that we currently have here. Give your feline friend protein-packed meals they'll crave with Smalls. Smalls is fresh, human-grade food for cats, delivered right to your doorstep so you too can embrace your inner house cat. All cats are obligate carnivores. They need fresh, protein-packed meals. Conventional cat food is made with profits in mind, using low-quality, cheap meat byproducts, grains, and starches coated in artificial flavors. Smalls, on the other paw, is made with cats in mind. Smalls develops complete and balanced recipes for all life stages with leading cat nutritionists. Starting with human-grade ingredients like you or I would find at the market, Smalls recipes are gently cooked to lock in protein, vitamins, minerals, and moisture. No room for fillers, no need for flavoring. Better quality ingredients mean a better, healthier life for your cat. Since switching to Smalls, cats have experienced improved digestion and a less smelly litter box, softer and shinier coats, plus better breath. Try Smalls today for your cats in your household. Hooch loved it. Use offer code COMMUNITYCATS at checkout for a total of 30% off your first order at smalls.com. Are you ready to be part of the solution for feral and stray cats in your neighborhood? If so, then make sure to sign up for our next Neighborhood Cats TNR Certification Workshop. A new workshop is held online each month, generally on the first Saturday of the month, but please check our website for exact dates. For just $10, expert instructors will teach you best practices for trap, neuter, and return. TNR. Learn what TNR is and why it works. We'll cover getting along with neighbors, preparations for trapping, trapping itself, including entire colonies at once, feeding, providing winter shelter, and more. Take advantage of the interactive format, extensive handouts, and video footage of actual projects. Attendees will receive a certificate of attendance and gain access to an ongoing Facebook group for networking with other TNR activists. 
The two and a half hour workshop is led by Susan Richmond, the executive director of Neighborhood Cats, and Brian Cordes, Neighborhood Cats National Programs Director. To find out the date of the next workshop and sign up, just visit communitycatspodcast.com. As we emerge from the global pandemic of COVID, fostering is emerging as the new normal in the animal welfare industry. But shelter management software doesn't provide the tools or the workflows for communicating with fosters at scale. So many organizations struggle to maintain hundreds of animals in foster homes. If only there was a system that was custom built specifically to solve this problem. Introducing Foster Space, powered by our friends at Dubert. Foster Space was custom built to allow you to manage hundreds of foster relationships and to communicate with them via text, email, and even Facebook Messenger. Your fosters have a portal where they can upload videos and photos and updates on their animals, and organizations can schedule fosters for meet and greets, adoption days, or anything else they need. There's so much more to check out. Sign up for free at www.dubert.com and go to the Foster Space tab to get started. So before we hit the record button, you were talking a little bit about a project that you're working on at the University of Tennessee. Would would you be interested in sharing a bit about that? Absolutely. That's uh, working with Dr. Michael Blackwell and his team at the University of Tennessee as part of the Access to the Align Care program, um, which is really setting up a network of communities throughout the country to help provide access to veterinary care particularly to low-income pet owners around the country. And that's something that's been near and dear to my heart for years, even back in the, in the days running the organization. You know, I, I realized quickly that we could offer spay and neuter, but sometimes people coming to the clinic just needed to see a veterinarian and didn't have any other options. And so that's why at First Coast, we started to offer more and more services to pet owners, nation, you know, around the area. And we actually, at First Coast, we'd have people drive down as far away from South Carolina and North Carolina, all the way to Florida to get veterinary care because they weren't able to find um, access to care closer to them. And that's something that really stuck with me throughout the years. So when I had the opportunity to work with Dr. Blackwell and his team to expand access to veterinary care nationwide, it was something I jumped at immediately. And here's something for our listeners to consider, Stacy, is that with the exciting success that we've seen in decreasing shelter euthanasia throughout the years, Best Friends is now estimating that there's fewer than 1 million dogs and cats dying in shelters every year that could be saved. The fact is that there's more pets dying in veterinary hospitals nationwide that could be saved due to economic euthanasia when the pet owners can't afford to pay for the cost of veterinary care, so they're offered euthanasia instead, that number is probably somewhere, you know, I estimate somewhere up around three to four million dogs and cats dying in veterinary clinics every year that could be saved, which, you know, eclipses the number of dogs and cats now dying in shelters that could be saved. So, I think that's the next big challenge for animal welfare is how do we figure out a way to save those dogs and cats that already have families, loving families, um, that are dying in, in veterinary hospitals due to economic euthanasia. So working with Dr. Blackwell is certainly one way to uh, tackle that problem. 
It's a great point. And it's definitely, I think, the next stage of where we're going to be focusing a lot of our efforts with regards to being able to have affordable care for the lifespan of the cat or the dog, not just that affordable spay neuter. And that's really exciting. And it's great. Um, When you work with uh, clients as, as a consultant, I mean, do you advise them on, you know, say how to open up one of these aligned care clinics, or you advise them on their program, or you help them with, you know, a veterinary recruitment? Is it piecemeal? Do you create something individually for an organization? Or do they come to you for a certain type of package? All of the above, really, Stacy. Um, just to clarify, though, aligned care is really utilizing resources that already exist in communities and not setting up clinics. Yep. But with my other clients, I really do do all of the above, um, starting with a strategic plan for the organization that incorporates adding access to veterinary care projects to doing assessments of existing clinics or planning new clinics. One of the projects that I love the most is helping to design floor plans for new clinics. That's always fun to me. But then recruiting veterinarians or recruiting management, doing clinic planning. Really, you know, we can we can work with the clients. I can work with the clients really however however they need assistance, whether it's piecemeal, hey, I need help with this piece, maybe a strategic plan or a floor plan or recruiting veterinarians or even taking an interim position while we find the proper management team, get the proper management team in place for the veterinary or for the nonprofit organizations. You know, I can do really, I can put together a package for the, that really fits the needs of any nonprofit organization. And of course, we try and keep it very affordable to help all of the nonprofits that we can. What do you think the the role is of, you know, we have so many small rescue-based organizations, and then we sort of have our mid-level ones, and then we have our much larger ones. I mean, how how do you think we should all interact with one another? I sometimes feel like, you know, the, the big kids are over here, and the little kids are over here, and they both seem to have different issues. And I kind of wish sometimes we all got together. And I just wondered if you see that happening, too. Oh, absolutely. And we talk about that a lot at Align Care, how, you know, it seems like the nonprofits each are like to be in their own little world and, and not really work amongst each other with each other. And, and that's unfortunate. And that is definitely something we have to change because every one of those nonprofits out there has a place for helping animals. And it's part of the puzzle that's going to be the solution to, to pet overpopulation or to um, or to economic euthanasia, whichever challenge it is that we're working on at the time. And every one of them, you know, we can't complete the puzzle without every piece in it. So, you know, I think that it's very important for all the nonprofits, whatever size they are, to work together as much as possible. You know, if it's, if it's rescue groups taking animals from shelters that are overburdened, or if it's uh, clinics operating independently, nonprofit clinics operating independently, um, whatever the case may be, I think, you know, we all have to work together. I think one area that's definitely going to be a growing market in the animal welfare world is those nonprofit veterinary hospitals. When you look at the numbers in the, uh, for, in the human medicine side of things, is 75% of all hospitals are either nonprofit or government run. 
that's about 50% of them are nonprofit and about 25% of them are government run, according to a study done by the Kaiser Family Foundation. And so I think that that's something that's definitely in the future for animal welfare is operating these nonprofit safety net hospitals. And so I think nonprofits of all sizes can look at that opportunity as a way to grow their organizations or to expand the reach of their organizations to be able to reach these people that do need access to veterinary care. If you met someone today who was thinking about starting up a nonprofit like you did many years ago, what advice would you give them? I think probably the biggest piece of advice is to find what they want to focus on and then really try and focus on that issue. When I started First Coast, of course, our mission was to end the killing of dogs and cats in the area shelters, then help the adjoining communities do the same thing. And we really accomplished that mission when I left First Coast, you know, four of the area counties that surrounded Jacksonville were all saving more than 90% of the pets coming into their shelters. And so that was really our focus. And once we accomplished that, then we realized that that lack of access to veterinary care was the next thing that we wanted to work on. And I think that's really the you know important thing is for, for people starting a nonprofit now is to come up with a plan to... Uh, solve a particular problem that they have an interest in or that they see as a big need in their community, and then to do that. But also to look around in the community and make sure that they're not duplicating services that somebody else is already doing and doing a good job of. Now, if somebody says they're doing, you know, uh, providing a service, but there's still a big need for that service in the community, then certainly you can go ahead and, and start another nonprofit to do that, but make sure we're not just duplicating services that somebody else is doing, but also plan, you know, for growth with your nonprofit, just like at First Coast, when I started First Coast, it was, I was the only volunteer we had, we had no employees and we had no other volunteers. And of course, I grew that into a, you know, a really large organization that was able to help 60 or 70,000 patients every year in our hospitals. And so, you know, keep that in mind is how do I build this organization so that it can grow into something that will have the maximum impact? And that's where a good strategic plan comes in handy, although that plan will change frequently and maybe even, you know, every year or more, even more frequently. I think we've all had to change our plans dramatically over the last year, probably several times. But I think, you know, having a plan and working that plan, even knowing that that plan may change, is important to achieving your your goals. Rick, if folks are interested in finding out more about the work that you do, how would they reach out to you? Well, they can check out our website, rldconsultingservices.com. Or, of course, we're on Facebook at RLD Consulting Services, LLC. Or you can go to my personal Facebook page, which is Rick Ducharme, obviously, or email me at rick at rldconsultingservices.com. I'd love to hear from them in any of those ways. Super. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? No, I'd just like to say, you know, if, if you think you need help with your nonprofit, whatever size it is, feel free to, you know, reach out to me and we'll have a phone call. I never charge anything. Give everybody a at least a free 30-minute phone conversation to help them 
figure out what they need to do. And if there's something I can help them with that fits into their plan, then I'm always happy to talk with them about that as well. But I'm always happy to give free advice and uh, love to hear from your listeners about what their plans are and, and um, how they're going to make a difference because every one of them can make a true difference in their own communities. Rick, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show and also for supporting the United Spay Alliance online conference this year. We really appreciate it. And I hope we'll have you on the show again in the future. Always happy to be here, Stacey. And it's always great to uh, hear, hear your podcast. I love to listen to them and hear from all the exciting people you talk with. That's great. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. The Community Cats Podcast would like to shout out a few of our online event sponsors. Did you attend the United Spay Alliance Conference in March? The incredible content and educational opportunity were brought to you in part by Marion's Dream and Humane Network. If you or your organization would like to sponsor content that you care about and that saves feline lives, go to communitycatspodcast.com slash sponsor and learn more about how you can turn your passion for cats into action.